If you have a Bible, open it to Acts chapter 10. And if you need a Bible, raise your hands. Raise your hand and I'll get you a Bible. Anyone? Anyone? All right. Okay. Acts chapter 10. Starting at verse 1, it says, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. I like him already. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. Of course, tanning by the sea goes hand in hand. Uh, when the angel, sorry, uh, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants, a devout soldier, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Every now and then, there, there, there's a passage that really resonates with me that kind of goes hand in hand with really the core of the things that I feel and really enjoy talking about. And so some things are real easy for me to talk about. It's not like teaching a Bible study at all. It's really more like just talking to you about some things that I think God has impressed throughout the Scriptures. And, and this is one of those things. Because what we see happening here is fulfillment of what Jesus said in the first chapter when he said that he was going to empower them to preach this good news to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts or the ends of the earth. And that's what we see happening here. We see the door cracking open and there is the end of the earth because now this is going out to the Roman Empire through a man named Cornelius. And the Roman Empire was the known world at that time. And so, however many years have passed, at least six, probably more, from the first chapter to now, as we saw that through the stoning of Stephen and the persecution of Saul, that God started pushing the church to those other regions, to Judea and Samaria, and and moving people out, and now he's moving further still. And here in Caesarea, God appears to a man named Cornelius, who was a centurion. What, what was a centurion? Well, in Caesarea, there was an establishment for the Roman soldiers. And a legion was 6,000 people, 6,000 soldiers. And then they would break those legions down and a centurion was actually over a 100 soldiers. Century, centurion, they're kind of in that realm. And so Cornelius was in charge of a 100 men and these were seasoned soldiers. 
These weren't your grunts who were there, you know, just, you know, yahoos going into battle. He probably was one of those at one time, but he had gotten smarter and older, most likely. And so he had developed kind of a, a steady frame of thought that was able to be trusted with men. And so now he is a seasoned veteran, over a hundred men. Now we have to think, what is this in context to the Hebrew nation? Because context is everything here. The Roman government was oppressing the nation of Israel. Israel were slaves to the Roman government. This man was the the tip of the spear for the Roman government. This man was part of the fighting lines of that government. This man is involved with or part of that oppressive force on the nation of Israel, God's people. Think of how it would be. It's so hard for us to imagine. Americans, we have not been oppressed. We don't have... Well, we have our government over us, I guess, uh, and it's tax time. So, okay, imagine this. But imagine just that animosity between the, quote, people of God and the Roman government and especially of those who enforced that government, like Cornelius. start getting a little framework of of what's taking place here. Who this man is in the eyes of the Hebrew people. And it says that one day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel who came to him and said, Cornelius. And he told him what to do. And so now we have an angel of God coming to this man who is part of the oppressive force of this heathen nation and reveals himself and shows him a vision. But we see some things about Cornelius. We see that he was devout and God-fearing, that he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, he wasn't a proselyte. He wasn't someone who had converted to Judaism or the Hebraic ways. But being involved in Caesarea, where there was a large populace of Hebrew people, he was no doubt accustomed with their ways. And he was monotheistic, unlike the Roman government that had multitudes of gods, gods for everything. He believed a little more focused and had a little more insight to there is one God. And he would pray to this God to the extent that he knew who this God was. We don't know. But he feared him. In other words, he had respect for this God. And he was generous to those who were in need. In fact, it says in verse 4, it says, The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. That is such a cool verse. Your prayers, the things that you have uttered from your soul, have reached heaven, but not just the things that you have said, but your gifts and helping the poor have reached the eyes of God. 
God sees what you have done, not only does he hear what you have said. And so here's a person who is seeking, who is reaching out for God, who is wanting to know, but he's not a Hebrew. In Romans, whoops, there it is. In Romans chapter 2, any time now? Romans 2. Okay. Did it get plugged in? <laughs> it's got to have that little thing plugged in on the side. Okay. It's there? Anyway, Romans chapter 2, verse 14. Had it written up there, but I'll have to turn to it. Never mind. Okay. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not... Okay, they do not. Yeah, okay. Even though. Yeah, I'm not there. Okay. All right. Okay. Even though they do not have the law to themselves. In other words, when the Gentiles do the things that are right, before God, it shows that God is at work within them, which is what's taking place with Cornelius. God is at work in him, even though he is not a Jew. What is your thoughts about God? Who do you think God is in in your relationship to him? How do you see God? In his relationship to mankind. Because usually we have this idea that God is out there and if you do enough, maybe, just maybe, or if you're good enough, then maybe you stand a chance of encountering him. That's kind of how it's been presented to us. If you're good enough, then God will show up. But that's not what we see in Scripture. We see that God is the one who is in pursuit of man. That God is the one who's looking. That God is the one who is searching for us and not the other way around. And what has happened where we think that in order to find God, you have to do certain things, jump through certain hoops, live a certain way, otherwise You can't find God. And we see God is searching for us in order to not only find us, but to change us. Because that change is necessary. Erwin McManus, in his book, The Barbarian Way, says the greatest enemy to the movement of Jesus Christ is Christianity. Powerful statement. What does he mean? Religion 
whether it was the Jewish religion or whether we call it Christianity, anything that puts a roadblock in between God and people does not represent the heart of God. And a Roman centurion, part of the strong arm of the Roman government that was oppressing the nation of Israel, God says, there is a man who I need to reveal myself to. This man has a glimpse of who I am. I need to give him a fuller picture. He didn't have to join a church. He didn't have to become proselytized. He knew he had a sense that God was there. And that was enough for God to speak into his life and to reveal himself a little bit more clearly. You know, it's a hard thing for us to imagine that someone in such a distant place to what and where God is working could be in line with where God is working. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17. We're going to be at verse 24. Before we get there, we have this under this frame of mind that God has to, to speak to us in certain areas, in certain ways. Maybe it's at church. If you go to church, that's where God speaks to you. Or, you know, what if you're in another country? Can God speak to someone in India or Pakistan? Iraq, Afghanistan. I mean, how, how can God speak to someone who is so far from this message? Four years ago, went with a group to Wales, to Swansea, Wales. We went to a skate park when we got there. There was a new church that was just getting started there. And as we went to the skate park, we didn't really know where we were going. We just, the church had only been there like a week. And so we ended up at the skate park that we later found out was the worst place in all the city. It's where the highest crime rate was, the most use of drugs. It was just a place that was not looked well upon. In fact, they ended up tearing it down and, and getting rid of it later on. And we didn't know any better, otherwise we wouldn't have gone. But we went there and we started talking with some of the kids that were there, some of the skaters, and we started interacting with them, asking them questions. And, and there was a young lady who that morning, before we were there, woke up in despair and said, God, if you're there, would you show yourself to me? Because I just don't want to live like this anymore. I'm just tired of it. She got up that morning, headed down to the skate park, got to the skate park, and there was 40 crazy Christians there from the United States talking about Jesus. And she was like, what is this about? And her cry out to God was answered by our presence there. And it kind of freaked her out. Because her idea of Christianity was one that was pretty narrow, pretty thin, pretty structured to the 
Church of England there and it wasn't something that fit her life and she thought, I can never be like that. And then there we were, representing Jesus in a way that she could understand. And as time went on, we were able to reveal who Jesus was to these kids who were in this country far away from us. And to think that God could reach this young lady and those young people better by having them in Wales than here in the United States is kind of a funny thought. Or that he could reach a Roman centurion who's in Caesarea instead of in Jerusalem. Don't you need to be in Jerusalem? That is, you know, that's where the temple is. That's where all the the understanding of the law is. That's where it's happening. Isn't that where you need to go to hear from God? But in Acts chapter 17... Starting at verse 24, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined, this is important, the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did so so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now we're going to get into that chapter later on, but Paul is saying God has placed people in such a strategic place as where he could best reach them, to reveal himself to them. It wasn't by accident that Cornelius was in Caesarea. It wasn't by accident that these kids were in Swansea, Wales when we came there. It's not by accident you were born where you were born. God has orchestrated everything so that he could reach you. God cares so much that he has put you at the best place to reveal himself to you, to show you that he is not far from you. He is near. And Paul even quotes They're pagan philosophers to show them that God was speaking and even your own philosophers were able to hear a glimpse of his voice. He's not far from any one of us. In fact, in him we live and move. We have our being. He is around us. He is near. In Isaiah 55, verse 6, It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him when he is near. Have you ever spoken to someone who gets close to you? There was this one guy I used to talk to, and he would get right into my face. And, you know, it's like he gets like this, and it's like, oh, my gosh, is he going to kiss me? or What's going on? You know, he's just right there talking to you. And it's like, you know, if I'm inhaling, I'm breathing his exhale. And if I'm exhaling, he's breathing. And it's like, oh, I'm, so you kind of hold your breath, but you have to breathe. But, you know, I feel like if we keep breathing, we're both going to pass out because of the lack of oxygen and he would come up to me and he would just sit and you'd kind of try and back away but he would he'd just kind of keep following you you know and pretty soon you're like putting your arms out and your elbows like you know dude back off and he's just he encroaches that space sometimes 
God encroaches our space. And it can be a little uncomfortable. And it makes us kind of want to move away. But unlike this guy who would get so close to me and I wouldn't want to breathe his air, it's actually the breath of God that we need that gives us life. That closeness to him. And when he is near, when he is revealing himself like he did here to Cornelius, we are to seek him. Because that is an opportunity. Throughout our lives, we could probably look back and see that there are times when God was near, when God was encroaching our lives and ministering to us and and trying to capture our attention. Maybe we didn't hear it. Maybe we didn't understand. I remember my mom sharing with me one time. It was a dark time, I know, in her life. It was after the divorce with my stepfather and just not a good time. And she was driving down, I think it was PCH, in her uh, Mercedes 280 SL that she sold when I turned 16. Uh, Funny the things we remember. Uh, And I remember she was feeling rather depressed at that point. And as she was driving, she was listening to Jazz Station because that's what she used to be into. She was pretty cool back then. And not that you're not cool now, Mom. Uh... But all of a sudden, Amazing Grace started playing over the radio, and she started weeping. And in a real sense, it it saved her at that point. She didn't come to faith in Christ at that moment. She didn't pull to the side of the road and say a sinner's prayer. It was just God drawing near to someone who was far and saying, I'm here. You weren't looking for me, but I showed up on KGGO or whatever radio station it was. And I just want to speak through this radio, through this song, through that saxophone, through this place that I'm near. And she sensed and had presence of God there with her. And it was years later that she, she came to a faith. But you see, God is the one reaching. God is the one seeking out. And when he is near, we need to seek back. And what you will find is that when you stop running, when you stop running away from God, if you will turn and face him, you will find his love running into you at full force saying, I am here when you stop running. Cornelius, devout man, seeking the Lord as best he knew how. has a vision, tells him, you need to go somewhere else. You you need to get a closer view of who I am. Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he he loses his soul? So many times we, we 
We think our situations are signs whether God is with us or not. And it's funny because in that situation with my mom, in a depressed time, in a dark area, God was able to show up and be there. And you see, what's more important are the eternal things, not the temporary things. What does it profit if you have good moments, but you lose your soul? What does it profit if things are going well, but things are not right? What does it profit if you gain everything, but lose who you really are? And so the moments that come in and oppress our lives, that maybe press in on us, that cause us to to react in fear, even as Cornelius did, or or concern about God and, and what's going on with my life. Those times when we're depressed are usually the times we cry out to God. Those are the times when we start talking and we start pouring out our, our hearts to God in a deep way. A, a friend of mine, he, he had, uh, he was a close friend of mine and his wife had just given birth. You know, so I had been over his house. I worked with him for years and was aware of his wife's pregnancy and, you know, was all excited. He had a son already and now he's going to have another child. And I remember getting a phone call from him. And he said, Sam, wife just delivered our baby. And that's supposed to be a joyous time. It's supposed to be something. Congratulations. And I think I might have even said that. And then I sensed something was wrong as he started speaking to me on the voice. He said, it's a girl. He said, but she was born with no eyes. And he started weeping. And he started telling me just the other problems, that she doesn't have a palate on her top of her mouth, and, and she doesn't hear very well. She'll never really develop. And all the defects that were there, a part of her, and he just started crying. And he told me these things. And after I had talked with him, I was working at, at the church in Alhambra at the time. And I just said, I need to take a few moments. I'm gonna, I'll be back. And I just left. And I went to a park. And I just screamed. I just screamed. I said, God, how could this happen? God, why? And you see, even in that depressed moment, in that place where it was just dark and How dark for me, how much more for him, his wife. But it was there that my soul just flooded out to God and said, God, what is going on here? What is going on? And you see, what I need to see, what we need to see, is even in those moments that are moments that are dark, God is pressing near. What does it matter if you gain the world? What does it matter if your child has health, if she loses her soul, if you lose your soul? What is the moment in light of all eternity and God is pressing on us? But sometimes we don't want to get that close. And and sometimes you might think that this here is your moment with God. And if this is as close as you get to God, then 
you're not close. If this is what you need or is as close as you get to communicating to God, then you're malnourished. Not because I'm such a bad teacher. Not because I'm such a good one either. You're malnourished because God wants you personally. He wants to invade your space. He wants to get close to you and say, I am here right now in this moment here. Seek me while I am near. Because then there might not be a time when I'm so near where you might not be able to find me. You ever lost something? You know, your phone, your keys. You saw them moments ago. They were right there on the table. My daughter does this to me all the time. Where's my phone? It was right here. It's like, I didn't take your phone. Okay? Why do I want your phone? Well, I know it was right here just a second ago. Where'd it go? And then she starts getting mad at me because she can't find her phone. Well, when it was near, it was easy to find, but now I'm not sure where it's at. Where is it? Where where did it go? Well, sometimes God is near. He's there to be found. And maybe even right now, he is pressing in on you, and it's getting a little uncomfortable. And you're wondering, well, what should I do? How should I deal with this? Well, in Luke 11, turn with me there. Eleven verse five. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking to them about prayer. He's teaching them on prayer. In verse five, he says, then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. He goes on and he says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will he give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He says, even the Sopranos are good to their family. To keep keep it in the Italian theme here. How much more will God care for you? And if you seek, you will find. And if you knock, it will be open. And if you ask, I will hear you. 
I am near. I am looking for you. I am wanting to take my love and give it to you and to see it reach the ends of the earth. And so I will open the eyes of a man named Cornelius, a Roman centurion over a hundred guards that are part of that oppressive force on the nation Israel. And I will speak to him because he has been seeking me. He has been knocking. He has been asking. And I will reveal myself to him. You want to see God? You've been wanting to know who I am. I am going to show you. I'm going to send you to a man, Peter, and he will reveal to you who I am. My name is Jesus. And I am near. And God opens the door so that this man, Cornelius, can find out who he is. And he opens the door now to take this message of good news to the ends of the earth. Saying, I'm not going to leave this enclosed. It is not excluded to you. We saw that it already went to the Samaritan people through Philip. That's not enough. Yeah, they were half Jews, half breeds, but... That's not enough. I need to go further still. I need to reach those who are further still. So I'm going to go now to the Romans. I'm going to go to Cornelius. And this is opening the door to the gospel to the rest of the world. Now, we need to have this mindset that God is trying to reach the rest of the world. And not just geographically. But wherever people are at. Who do you think is far from God? Because God is wanting to push that door open and reach them. They don't have to come here. They don't have to join a church. They just need to seek God when he is near. And Peter was going to go and open that door further to help him see the one you've been seeking. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Because whoever seeks will find. Whoever knocks, it will be open. Whoever asks, Cornelius was asking. And God answered. Are you asking? Are you seeking? Are you knocking? Because if you are, God is going to respond. That's who he is. That's what I love about this passage. That's what I love about the book of Acts is God is constantly reaching further still. He wants to include everybody. Everybody, And the minute you or I say, no, you need to change first before you can come here. You need to stop being a Roman centurion. Then we'll let you come into our church. Then then we can talk to you about God. You need to you don't clean a fish and then catch it. You can't. You catch the fish. God cleans it.
And we need to make sure we don't put roadblocks or get attitudes towards people because they're not living our standard of life. Because they have a drug problem. Because they're drinking. Some places Christians drink, you know that? When I was up in Napa, everyone drank. They all drink wine. Well, not everyone, but most everyone. Go to Europe, same thing. Don't box God in. He's reaching people. He wants to reach people. And he's able now to push the door open to Cornelius, to the Roman government. He is now going to the ends of the earth, just like he said he would. And he revealed himself to Cornelius. Then he had to reveal himself to Peter to get them to meet. But he's pressing in. And he's pressing in on us, too. May we respond to him. Let's pray. Father, you say in Psalm 84 that you will not withhold any good thing from us. God, I pray that you would help us to see that it is your desire to reveal yourself. That we are not seeking you, but you're seeking us. That we are not reaching as far as you are. Lord, may we keep this mind that you have, this attitude that is inclusive and not exclusive. May we see that there are people around us who do not know Jesus but are seeking you. They're praying. They're even doing good things. And you see and you hear. And you want to press closer still and reveal who you truly are in the person of Jesus. That you are able to deal with the deepest needs they have, with the separation that they sense and know is there between themselves and you. Lord, may we be messengers, even as Peter would come along and reveal totally who you were through the person of Jesus. Lord, may we do that as well. But may we not put up roadblocks in people's minds or hearts. May we not make obstacles for them to find you. May we engage them where they're at, Lord. And as they are seeking, as they are asking, as they are knocking, may we help them to find you, Lord. May we be as your breath is to breathe life into them. God, give us boldness. Give us vision, Lord. May we hear you speak to us. May we move where you send us. And may we be inclusive to all who are around us and point them to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, in whose name we pray. Amen.